We're going to read today from the Word of God, turning again to Paul's letter to the Colossians. And we're going to read verses 1 through to 12 together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 12. Let's hear the Word of God. Follow with me in your Bible. Let's hear God's word. Colossians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience, and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 12, and we know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and inerrant word. Now, this morning, I want to continue with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. And I want us to consider today the words in Colossians chapter 1 and in the verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, there's my text for today, and here's my theme, and I want you to think about it. Praying to know the will of God. Now, this is my fifth sermon, and I'm not going to go into a lengthy introduction on the first eight verses. There's four sermons already on the website discovering uh, the new beginning for the church at Colossae. We then thought about the uh, spiritual signposts of true Bible-believing Christianity, faith in Christ Jesus, love to all the saints, a hope for heaven. Uh, those are the real evidences of a true work of grace in the soul. We, we then uh, thought about the um, word of the truth of the gospel, 
we need a rediscovery and an understanding of what the gospel is. And then we thought about uh, the faithful portrait of a, a minister of God using Epaphras as example. And I've already preached on that, and I'm not going to re go over that ground once again. We're thinking today of verse 9. And we're thinking of this theme, praying to know the will of God. You see, whenever Epaphras had landed at Rome, and went into that prison house where the Apostle Paul was and began to communicate to the Apostle Paul about the church in Colossae, uh, how it commenced, the conversion growth that was seen, the evidence of faith in Christ, love to the saints, hope for heaven, and all about this uh, Colossian heresy that was beginning to raise its ugly head, uh, this um, uh, pagan ideology, uh, this um, uh, merging of... of uh, Jewish ceremony and, and uh, Greek philosophy. And um, whenever he told that to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul says, from the day we heard it from the lips of, uh, of Epaphras, from that very day, here's what Paul did. He started to pray for the church at Colossae. People he had never met in the flesh, face to face, people he'd never seen. He tells us there, if you think of verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father for Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Link it up with verse 9. Do not cease to pray for you. Now, Paul's prayers are recorded in the Bible and they're unique. Here he is in prison. He's under house arrest and he doesn't pray for himself. Now, I'm not suggesting that he doesn't pray for himself. I'm sure he does, but he doesn't mention that. He's just focusing this and that. What he focuses on by the Spirit of God is highlighting his concern for others. You see, the Apostle Paul is a true minister of the word of truth. He's a man of prayer, as a man who believes in the preaching of the word of God. Now remember, he has not visited Colossae. He's never set foot there. He doesn't know the people. He hasn't met them personally. He's in prison, but he heard of them, and the moment he hears of them, their genuine faith in Christ, love to the saints, and hope for heaven, and this heresy that's coming into the church that they're experiencing uh, and hearing through these false teachers, here's what he does. He says to them, from that day, I have not ceased to pray for you. Now, the wonderful thing is that Paul's prayers are recorded for us in the Bible by the Spirit of God. And here's one of his prayers. And I emphasize again, here's one of the qualifications of being a faithful minister. You see, to be a faithful minister of the gospel, there's two essentials. You've got to be a man of prayer, and you've got to be a preacher of the word. Remember the apostle said in Acts 6 and 4, but we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I remember years ago uh, visiting a dear lady who belonged to our congregation, uh, Mary Ellis, and uh, she was telling me about another minister who'd just been in in front of me. Now, not to visit her, but visit some people in the same uh, ward beside her. And I, I said to her, did, did he pray with the man? And she said he didn't. I, I said, did he open the scriptures to the man? No. I said, what did he talk about? Oh, well, they talked about the football team and they talked about the weather and they talked about the family and the fairs in the country. And then I asked, well, did he speak to the man about Christ? 
Did the man learn from the minister that he needed to be saved and how to be saved? And she said no. And I felt straight away how sad, but how strange, because if a man has the qualifications of a minister of the gospel, he will want to preach the word and he will want to offer prayer for others. See, the Apostle Paul, he was a true minister of the gospel. And so was Epaphras. And because they had a love for the Savior and a love for the souls of men, their love for the Savior and the souls of men led them then to offer prayer for one another, even for people that they'd never met. And those prayers are unique. And those prayers are recorded for us in the Bible. Now, I'm not telling you where they're all recorded. You look up the prayers of Paul in the Bible, and you'll begin to discover them. But here's one of them. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through to 12. And I have three things this morning I want to set before you. First of all, think of prayer that focuses on a true spirituality. And I want you to see that. See, Paul's prayers are full of spirituality. It's all about a true spiritual prosperity for the people of God. You see, when we pray, and I've been very honest here, very open this morning, but, but please don't uh, get me wrong. Try to understand what I'm saying. We pray mostly for material things, for, for temporal things. Lord, help me in the job today. Lord, help me with a school exam. Lord, protect me as I leave the house. Lord, help me to sell this car. That's a prayer that I prayed recently. And, and of course, it sold, and the Lord answered prayer. Uh, we, we pray, Lord, provide for my need. Lord, heal my brother-in-law. Lord, this person's sick, and they need a touch in their body. Now, I want to make it clear, there's nothing wrong with that type of praying. But I also want to make it clear, when we pray just purely about material and temporal things, we're praying in the shallows of our relationship with God. Now, it's not wrong, let me make it clear, to pray for material needs or for temporal needs to be met. But here's the point. Spiritual matters and spiritual concerns are more important than material and temporal things. You remember the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, we're familiar with the words. There's only one prayer or one petition in that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And that focuses on all that's necessary to sustain us physically and, and mentally and materially on the earth. But the other petitions are taken up with spiritual. Forgive us our trespasses. Deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into evil. Do, do you see the contrast? Three things out of those petitions had to do with spiritual needs. And you see, Paul's prayers were substantive because they were full of a true spirituality. He is concerned primarily for God's people spiritually. That's his focus. Our prayings often dominated by the physical and material and temporal, but Paul's focus was on a true spirituality. He's concerned about God's people Prospering spiritually. Remember Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
You see, Paul's exercising a ministry here. He prays for people that he's not seen, people he's never spoke to, people he's never met, people he's only heard of. He's just hearing news about these two believers. He's hearing about a new fledgling church in Colossae and how it's getting on. It's maybe three to five years old. He's hearing about the heresy, the false teachers that have come into that church. He's hearing it from the lips of a minister who's qualified called Epaphras. And what does Paul immediately do? He exercises the ministry of prayer. And you know, every one of us are exhorted in the Bible to pray one for another. And it's a wonderful ministry. People that you've not seen, people that you don't know, you've never had contact with. And yet we can pray for them, pray for household salvation. Pray for the blessing of God to come upon them in a wonderful way. How? By the ministry of prayer. Pray for all the saints. Pray for all men, all types of people. Pray for kings and queens. Pray for governments. Pray for our missionaries. We can ask God to bless them. What with, with, with spiritual prosperity. See, I, I believe today E.M. Bounds is right. It's a powerful little series on prayer. I have it in one of the shelves in the porta cabin. God is looking for men who will pray. Not only older men, but young men. Young men who will say with David in Psalm 109 in the verse 4, but I gave myself to prayer. You see, we think today God's looking for better methods. And God's looking for our money. And God's looking for our imaginations, our, our thinking on, on a particular area. But all God is looking for is men. Men with the anointing of God. Men who will agonize before the Lord. I want to tell you there's a wonderful ministry here. So as Paul focuses, he's focusing on a true spirituality. He's focusing on, on spiritual prosperity. That's the point. But there's also a testimony here. One of the evidences that we're saved is that we pray. Did you know that? That's one of the proofs. Remember when Paul was converted over there in Acts chapter um, 9 and verse 11, um, the question was being asked by a man called Ananias, and uh, the Lord said to him by way of evidence in Acts chapter 9 and verse 11, uh, that this is what he said. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Street, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Underline those words. There's the proof and evidence that Paul was a saved man. His life had been changed and transformed by the grace of God. And you see, the Christian life starts and commences with, with prayer. God be merciful to me, the sinner. That's a prayer. It's a prayer to be saved. But it not only commences with that prayer, it continues with true prayer. If we're born of the Spirit, we'll be led by the Spirit to call unto God our Heavenly Father. The point is this, if you're genuinely and truly saved, you'll have this desire to pray. Now that's the question for you this morning. I'm not asking you if you believe in prayer. I'm not asking you if you talk about prayer to others and say it's a wonderful thing. I believe in the power of prayer and prayer changes things. I'm not asking you if you sing about prayer in the house of God. I, I, I'm not asking you if you agree with others on the subject of prayer. Here's the question. Do you actually pray? Paul was a man of prayer. And he testifies in this letter. 
praying for you, Colossians, not cease to pray for you. He is praying for the church individually. He's praying for God's people collectively. Even the minister, Epaphras, was a man of prayer. How do I know that? Look, look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, that means he's a native of Colossae, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Notice these words, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you, might be, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Oh, we'll come back to that a little later. Epaphras, too, was praying about the spiritual needs of the people in Colossae, that they might be stand, that they might be perfect and complete in all the will of God. And it's important that you grasp that. See, see when Paul prayed, he, he began to think of these people, that they would know the will of God, that they would walk worthy in Christ, that they would bring forth fruit in every good work, that they would increase in the knowledge of God, that they would be strengthened with all might and spiritual power, that they would have patience and long-suffering in the face of difficulty. I'll tell you something else. There's a constancy here. Notice the words in our text. Do not cease to pray for you. Do not cease. He's praying to God about these people. And he's praying constantly. It's not a one-off prayer meeting. He's continually praying for these believers. This church is under attack. The gospel is under attack. And what does Paul do? He gives himself to prayer. He makes a decision. He engages in a firm resolution in his mind. But I gave myself to prayer. If we could ask him, Paul, when Epaphras came and communicated to you about the believers in Colossae and the heresy that had come into the church, what did you do? What was the first thing you did? I gave myself to prayer. See, how did Paul view life? Could I suggest to you that this was Paul's concern on his heart and mind every day? Paul lived with a God consciousness. He lived in light of eternity. Eternity's realities were always on our mind. Do we see and live in light of eternity? And because of that, we're constantly giving ourselves to prayer. We pray without ceasing. Do we see all that happens in life and learn to relate it to the mind and will of God and tell ourselves, well, I must pray about that? See, this was Paul's worldview. He's seen everything in relationship to the Lord. He brought the Lord into the center. He wanted to know the will of God in everything. And no matter what happened to him, what circumstances befell him, what situations arrived, Paul lived and breathed in this atmosphere of continuing in prayer for himself and for others. So what I'm saying this morning is, and here's the first point, Paul's prayer focused on spiritual prosperity. Because there was a ministry there. There's a testimony there. There's a constancy there. And that's the first thing I want you to grasp as we open up this text. The second thing is this. This prayer focuses on spiritual progress. Not only on spiritual prosperity, but on spiritual progress. See, as Paul prayed, I believe he's been guided by the Spirit of God. And he had one thing in mind for God's people. And it was this. What's God's goal for his people? You see, there's one overarching theme for God's people. Those that are saved and washed in the blood and found in Christ. 
And that is that they make spiritual progress. They exhibit growth in their Christian life. Now, we have some children here. Lovely to have new children with us today. And others will join us as we get these restrictions lifted. But children have a strong desire to grow. Isn't that right? And I know children who are maybe nine and ten. And if I ask them, well, what age are you now? I'm nine. And I'll soon be ten. And after I'm ten, I'll be eleven. And whenever I'm eleven, I'll go to the big school and then I'll be twelve. Now, what's that saying to us? Well, that's saying this, that they have a strong desire to grow. Most homes, we had it at home, uh, uh, a grow chart. It was usually hanging in the wall or behind a closet door. And usually mummy would have the job of measuring the children just to see from week to week and month to month how much they would grow. And if you ever have the pleasure of going to Disneyland, I've never been there, but I know that they have charts all over the place. And if you can't reach the bottom of the sign, children, then the man who's organizing the people who can get on to the ride tells you you cannot get on this ride. Even teenagers want to grow up. 16, 17, they, they can't wait. If we were asking Stephen here a few months ago, he couldn't wait to get the driving license. Couldn't wait to get the car on the road. You see, what is true in physical relationship has to be true in spiritual relationship. And I asked this morning, I'm challenging you this morning, if you're born again of the Holy Spirit and you claim that you're in Christ, and you have a testimony to be and say, have you a desire to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ? Have you a desire for spiritual progress? Now, what does spiritual growth or spiritual progress look like? How do we measure it? We usually try and measure it by church attendance, giving money in the offering, being involved in the organizations of the church, Helping out with the sick, the old, the infirm. Helping with the children's work. And that's good. I want to tell you that's great and commendable. And all those helps are welcome. And they are evidence of a spirit of growth. But it's not the heart of growth. Now listen to me. Here's the heart of growth for you. Praying to know the will of God. Discerning how God wants you to live. So you can please him. And you do that willingly, voluntarily, gladly, joyfully. Paul's praying for these Colossian believers. Remember, they're now saved. They've got faith in Christ Jesus. They've loved the all the saints. They've a hope for heaven. They've been saved out of paganism. And he prays for them that they might make spiritual progress. In other words, that they might grow. What does he say if you look at our text? And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Here's his first petition. Making spiritual progress in knowledge of the will of God. See, God's goal for every believer is spiritual progress. There's no such thing as standing still in the Christian life. God's people need to be careful to avoid stagnation. Sadly, many of God's people feel worn out today. They've lost their vision. They've lost their voice. They've lost their victory. They've lost the vitality that they found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they feel, I'm fed up. It's not worth it. I can't be bothered. I don't want to go on. And what do they need to rediscover? 
They need to rediscover that God has a plan for their life. That God has a a goal for that life. And that goal is that they make spiritual progress. That that goal is that they grow as newborn babes in Christ. We can't be static. We can't sit still. If we're sitting still, we become stagnant. And then we lose heart and become discouraged and give up. And that's a big issue for many. So, So I'm asking again, is it true of you? Are you making spiritual progress as a true believer? See, many profess to become a true believer. They claim there's a time in their life, 10, 12 years of age, maybe more or less, and they've asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. But I ask this, how much progress have you made from that time? How much have you progressed into the knowledge of God? How much have you progressed in the knowledge of his will for you? How much time do you spend with the word of God reading it? I told Sammy the other evening there that there's a story told in America that most Christians spend two and a half hours a day watching the television and seven minutes in the word of God. See, where's the priority? How much time do we spend in prayer? Where's the evidence that we love Christ and we're putting him at the center? Maybe if I could just speak a few moments to the young people. You young people are well aware of the death last year on the 7th of April of Matthew Arnold. I've talked often to his mother, prayed much for his dear family. The anniversary is coming up again soon. But you know, Matthew Arnold had this unique quality that when I ever met him, it was evident that he loved the Lord Jesus. His love for Christ was seen by his talk, but it was also seen by his walk. The voluntary choices that he made, not just the negative things that he said as a Christian, I'm not going to do, but the positive things, his church attendance, his Bible reading, his his talking about the work of God, his, his desire for prayer for his loved ones that they might be saved. And I want to say that's the type of young people that we need in our church. We need young people who have a burning love for Jesus Christ. Christ is at the center. So that they'll talk and they'll walk with Christ. And maybe you're thinking, but but I'm not Matthew Arnold. And you're 100% right. That's not the question. The question is, do you love the Lord Jesus? To walk beside him every day. To talk about him. To have him at the center of your life. If you have, then you're beginning already to make progress. This is a prayer for spiritual progress. Now, the third thing I want to share with you this morning, not only a a prayer that focuses on spiritual prosperity and a prayer that focuses on spiritual progress, but a prayer that focuses on a spiritual pathway. Now, we're really just getting to the heart of the message. I want you to think of this thought, praying to know the will of God. Because that's what Paul prays for these believers at Colossae. Listen again to the words, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, now, four little things as we finish. Hear me out. The importance of the will of God. The will of God can be known. It's clear. It's plain. Now, when we think about the will of God, we think about a different job, praying about that. Uh, which color of paint do you use in the kitchen? Did you ever know that people pray about that? And ask the Lord? I, I find that strange. But anyway, that, that's just me. 
Marry a particular boy? Marry a particular girl? Which car will I drive? I've known people who have prayed about the Lord buying them a Jaguar car and specified the very color. They think that that's all connected to the will of God. But that's not the heart of the subject. It's knowing the moral and the revealed will of God as found in the scriptures. And it's being filled with the knowledge of it. And, and the word knowledge there and being filled with the knowledge of it means that it dominates and controls your life. It governs your thoughts and your words and your deeds. And God's moral will is a reflection of his holy character. And it's a growing to know him. And it's a growing to know that all he's revealed in the holy scriptures. Let me quote to you Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not in thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. You've heard these words. You know them. They're maybe underlined in your Bible. And it's vital for living out the Christian life. I want to tell you there is such a thing as getting to know the will of God. So that you don't have to lean in your own understanding. Every day we've got decisions to make. We've got a counsel to adopt. We, we have things to do. But we don't do it in our own strength or by our own ability, leaning on our own understanding. We need to know what the mind and will of God is. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, you guide me in light of your word. You see, it's about seeking his counsel. It's about asking direct your thoughts, him to direct your steps, him to shape your thinking and guide you in your path. See, it's possible to know the will of God. And that was Paul's earnest prayer here. It was connected to know the will of God for your life. And if I was to pray for you, and you were to pray for me, then here's the best prayer that we could make, that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, it's not a different type of praying than praying, Lord, bless the minister. Or Lord, bless my people. He's praying for you and I to get to know the will of God. Now, when you pray for yourself, you should pray, Lord, help me to know your will. Help me to be filled with the knowledge of it. To this extent, Lord, as we'll see in a moment. And when you pray for others, and while it's right we pray for material and physical needs, let's, let's begin in this church to pray for spiritual needs. I have to confess, I've been here, what, 22 coming years, and, and I've never thought of this before. I've never felt it so strongly before that we ought to be praying primarily for the spiritual well-being of one another, not just physically and materially. Let me say secondly, not only the importance of God's will, but interpreting God's will. How do I know what the will of God is? Where do I find it? Well, you know, it's here in the book. It's in the Bible. It's not just surrendering one time. This is a principle and a picture for the whole of my life. How do I know what the will of God is? In a particular area, we'll, we'll pray about it. Pray on and pray through. And if it's the will of God, he'll reveal it to you. And he'll burden your heart and your mind. You see, it's not you telling the Lord what you want him to do. It's not you making plans and asking the Lord to rubber stand them. It's, Lord, you show me. Lord, increase my burden. 
Lord, intensify the desire. Lord, open up the scriptures. You see, let me just show you very quickly. Do you know it's God's will for you to be saved? Turn over there to John 6 and verse 40. This is what it says in the scriptures. John 6 and verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Is it the will of God for you to be saved? Here it is. If you see the Son and believe in him, you have the certainty that you'll be raised up in the last day, the day of resurrection, and be with Christ. Do you know it's God's will for you to be sanctified? How do I know that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's God's will for his people. Sanctification is a constituent component element of true salvation. And this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's people should have holiness unto the Lord stamped on their life. Do you know what's God's will for you to be spirit-filled? How do I know that? The book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, Listen to these words in verse 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's God's will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you ask him, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, he will fill you. And I'll tell you more than that. It's God's will that you offer thanksgiving. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. What does it say there? It says... In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And there's so many other references I can turn to. And you see, what I'm saying this morning is that when we turn to the Scriptures, the will of God in so many areas is clear and plain. And that's what we should be focusing on. And we interpret God's will in light of his revealed will. It's important that we pray. But we ask God to reveal his will to us so that we have a knowledge of that will in our heart and mind. I think of the Apostle Paul whenever he wanted to go west. Sorry, when he wanted to go east into Asia. He prayed about it. He was going in that certain direction, taking the gospel to Asia. But the Spirit of God didn't suffer him to go. The Lord shut the door. He was redirected to go west and bring the gospel into Europe. Whenever David had a mind to do something for God, namely build a house for God, and Nathan the prophet, he nodded and agreed it. Great idea, David. 100%, that's something you should do. Nathan went to his house. He retired for the night. God spoke to Nathan, and God uh, told Nathan, you're out of the will of God and agreeing with David, for that's not my will for David's life. David's a man of blood. They will not build my house. His son will build it. David can prepare for it, but he will not build it. Do you see how the will of God comes to the fore? There's an interpretation of the will of God, but it has to be in accordance with his revealed will through his word. Very quickly, think about the insight into the will of God. Notice the extent here, filled with the knowledge of his will. Not only doing the will of God, but filled with the knowledge of it. That, that means controlled and dominated in your heart and mind. The word knowledge has to do with the acquisition of truth. You have a deep thorough working knowledge that's why it's important to read your bible and to study the scriptures and not only an acquisition of the truth but an appropriation of the truth 
Because it requires, if you look at the text in Colossians, what does it require? It requires all wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is a, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's wisdom is in contrast to the wisdom of the world. And that wisdom needs to be appropriated. So we have a spiritual skill in, in doing and handling things that come our way. And it also requires, as he says in our text here, spiritual understanding. There's the application of that truth. There's a, a perception, a discernment that's specific to a particular situation and a particular set of circumstances. Now, let me make it clear, this is not a light thing. This is not a casual thing. Paul's not praying in ignorance for these people. He has listened carefully to Epaphras. He's been well informed. These people are saved of faith in Christ. They have love for the saints. They have a hope for heaven. But these people are in danger. False teachers have come in. And what do they need? They need to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, Paul was concerned that God's people would grow cold and careless in the things of God. And if they grew cold and careless, they would lose heart and become discouraged. And, 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 and many feel like that in the ministry and some feel like that in missionary work. Hard done by, not well treated, not happy. Ministry, uh, maybe not functioning well. They're in God's work. They're there physically. They're there literally. But they're not fully in it in relation to their heart because their heart's not right with the Lord. They're under a cloud. They're cold and they're carnal and they've lost heart. And that, that spirit of coldness has driven a wedge into their heart between them and the Lord. That's what Paul was thinking of. So he cries out. Here's the extent. Filled with a knowledge of his will in all spiritual, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Can I tell you this morning, if you're here, you're here because God has called you here. We want you in this place. We love you. We need you. We, we desire to have you. We want you to go and tell others uh, about this place and this need. But we don't want you to be out of the will of God in relation to your heart. It's wonderful to be in the right place. But if your heart is not here, if your heart is not right, then the only answer is being filled with the knowledge of his will. Let me close. The impact of his will. How does it impact upon us? It impacts upon your character. Because if your heart is in it, and you're saved by the grace of God, you'll want to adorn the gospel. The will of God will matter to you. You'll deal with unconfessed sin. You, you'll deal with unrepentant sin. You'll be pleased to have the Lord at the center of your life. It'll be not my will, but thine be done. You'll pray that prayer. Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Because you'll want the will of God in your life. Do we pray about the will of God? Do we embrace the will of God? Do we experience the will of God? Do, do, we, do we abide by the will of God? See, it will impact upon our character. Could I tell you in closing, it will impact upon our conduct. It will be beyond just getting a mere verse from God. You'll seek God's counsel in prayer. 
You'll expect and experience a burden from God. This is God's will for me. And it'll be there with conviction. And you'll be convinced with nothing else. And you may seek an independent witness. You may not. When Gideon put the fleece out, he didn't interfere with the fleece. It was up to God. He was seeking God's counsel. Why? Because he wanted to please the Lord. So I asked, and I asked this morning, and I've asked myself as I've challenged my own heart with this message, does the will of God matter to me? Am I concerned about it? If it's God's will for me to be saved and you're here this morning and you're not saved, are you concerned about that? If it's God's will for you to be saved and you have family members who are not saved, then are you concerned about their soul? If it's God's will for your sanctification, then are you concerned about uh, living a life of holiness unto the Lord and having a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness? If it's God's will for us to offer thanks, then do we offer thanks at the table, whether it's a McDonald's or not? Do we offer thanks to God on a daily basis, not just for our food, but for every other blessing? Do we thank God for one another? See, there's so many areas. Are we concerned? For the will of God. Because I want to tell you. Unless we're filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom. And spiritual understanding. If we don't seek that pathway. We'll not be making progress. And we'll not be enjoying our full spiritual prosperity. That God has for us in Christ. So I leave this theme with you. I leave the text. Praying to know the will of God. And the next time you pray, you say, Lord, help me to know your will. Not just to do it, but to know it. That I may be filled with the knowledge of it. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening.